0: I'm just going to pray before we continue. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you promised as the bread of, bread of life that we would never go hungry and we'd never go thirsty with you. Lord, we thank you that you speak to us through your word. We're sorry, Lord, that we sometimes neglect your word. We just put it down and we forget about it. But thank you, Lord, that we've read it now, that we can meet you now. So, Lord, forgive us and speak to us tonight, we pray. We invite your Holy Spirit to implant in our hearts what you want to have, uh, what you want to do to us, what you want to, how you want to change us, how you want to transform us tonight. Just let those words sink into our hearts, we pray, in Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, I'm going to start with a simple question. Who likes Pringles? Well, <laughs> oh, quite a few people, these are original flavour. Who likes crisps? Alright, who prefers Pringles? Who prefers crisps? Fairly even. Okay, um, <laughs> I have another question for you. Slightly more difficult. Is a Pringle a type of crisp? Hands up if you think it is a type of crisp. Quite a few. Hands up if you're not sure. <laughs> hands up if you think it's not a type of crisp. A Pringle is not a type of crisp. Okay, so more people think it is a type of crisp. Okay, hands up if you weren't sure. I think these people need to have a taste of each, just to, just to check whether they think a Pringle is a type of crisp. So put your hands nice and high if, you don't, if you're not sure. Who's not sure? Just a few people. <laughs> Go on, and if you, if you were sure that a Pringle's a crisp or you weren't, you said no, then you can put your hands up too and have a cr- Pringle and a crisp. <laughs> if you'd like some, Steph and Leanne will pass some round to you. Okay, as um, the girls are, br- are bringing those round, hands up if you see MasterChef, who's watched MasterChef? You know, cooking doesn't get tougher than this, all that kind of stuff, it's great. Um, would anybody like, in a MasterChef style, to tell me what they think that taste, and that texture is like when they eat a Pringle or a crisp? Who'd, who'd like to have a go in a MasterChef style, like ex- describe how amazing that sensation is? Who'd like to have a go? (laughs) Go on, you've seen it on the telly. (laughs) Would anybody like to to tell me what they think of their Pringle or their Crisp? Anybody over here? (laughs) No? No volunteers? Maybe it'd just be a word, I don't know. I think Steve needs tickets. Steve was first (laughs) one. And he was late, so... Thank
1: you. Okay, um, now the first first thing, one I tasted this evening was the Pringle nice. and, and I must admit I thought that you know, there's no difference between a Pringle and a Crisp, so I tasted it and of course immediately got the texture, followed by the salty flavour mm. and um, and it kind of crumbled quite nicely in my mouth.
0: A crumble rather than a
1: crunch. Rather than a crunch. A crunch yeah. Then I moved to the Crisp nice. and it was a harder kind of sensation Um, similar similar level of saltiness um, but the texture the texture was definitely different and and you could taste more potato as well which came a bit later than the salt
0: (laughs) salt was the overriding first impression yeah it It was was. seasoned
1: it was it was the seasoning first and then the then the texture I think came after that
0: having taken that taste challenge Steve would you say a Pringle is a type of crisp or it's not a type of crisp?
1: I would say it isn't a type of crisp. I've changed my mind.
0: Ooh. Hands up if you've changed your mind as well. Anybody else? Or oh, one or two. Okay. Very good. Anyone else want to go? Okay. Thank you, Steve. Give Steve a round of applause. <clears throat> Have you thought about going on MasterChef? Uh,
1: only as a judge. Okay, yeah.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Right. Okay. Ooh, that was water. Okay. okay. Now, actually, those of you who thought a Pringle is not a type of crisp were correct. You see, in 2008, there was a High Court ruling, you see. In 2008, a judge at London's High Court ruled that the Pringle, this staple food of students and partygoers across the nation, is not a potato crisp. The result is really good news for us, apparently, because it means that they can't put VAT on a snack food. Okay, so so that Procter and Gamble are saving millions of pounds, they're the people who make Pringles, a year on their UK sales, because they don't have to pay VAT on their Pringles. But why is a Pringle not a potato crisp? Well, it got really complicated, but I have to read some of this, because it's a great description. You see, to fall within the definition of potato crisp, Steve was kind of on the right lines here, a product must be wholly or substantially wholly made from the potato. Well, a Pringle only contains 42% potato. Crisps do not contain non-potato flours like Pringles... ...and they're not normally packaged in tubes like a Pringle is. Um, Also, Procter & Gamble pointed out, and I quote... "...the appearance and taste of a Pringle is not that of a potato crisp. It has none of the irregularity and the variety of shape." that's always present in crisps, as you can see. "...it has a shape not found in nature... ...being designed and manufactured for stacking." ...and giving a pleasing and regular undulating appearance... ...which permits comfortable eating. (laughs) Crisps give a sharply crunchy sensation under the tooth... ...and have to be broken down into jagged pieces when chewed. It is totally different with a Pringle. Indeed, a Pringle is designed to melt on the tongue. It is not designed to present the kind of jagged sensations... ...associated with a crisp or similar product. Also, Pringles are not made like crisps... ...from frying a slice of potato but from a dough, like a cake or biscuit. So you've really got to worry about the state of our nation, arguing in the high court about (laughs) pingles and crisps, (laughs) spending millions of pounds, probably, on that decision. Anyway, Romans 6 made me think about what are we? As Christians, what are we? Are we dead to sin, like Paul describes, and alive to Christ? You see, we've got to be one or the other. We can't still live in our old way of life, And have this new way of, try and live this new way of life in Christ. Paul's quite clear about this. So, in this reading, Romans 6, verses 1 to 14. Just as a Pringle can never be a crisp, they're two different things. Once we become a Christian, we live a new and a transformed life. Our old way of life has gone and we begin a new way of life. It's pointless trying to hold both of them together. God wants us to jump into a new way of life with him and to seek him with our whole heart, to be with him and to leave some of the old things behind, to leave our old way of life behind. Now, in Romans, Paul was teaching that being saved by God, the salvation that God gives us is a gift from him and it's not earned by our own efforts, which is great news in many ways. But if that is the case and that everything depends on God, some people at the time when Paul was writing... Believe that they could go on sinning because the more sins they, they were doing, the more that God's grace there would be, so that perhaps the more power and more of God's life there would be in their lives because that had to counteract the sin. And it's, it's a wrong way of thinking. I can think of Christians today, sometimes we might think, it doesn't really matter if I get drunk or if I swear and shout at people or if I sleep around because I can ask for God's forgiveness and he will forgive. He's promised it in his word. But that is a wrong way of looking at it, Paul's saying. We can't just pick and choose a lifestyle like that. Paul stops this line of thinking in his tracks. In verse 2 it says, By no means we die to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And the message version says, We're dead to sin and alive to God. So we don't choose one or the other. Okay, we have to accept that as Christians we're alive to Christ. Now Paul uses this example of baptism to demonstrate his point. Now I'm I'm sure many of us have been baptised and we understand what that symbolises. This is for Christians who decide that they want to live their life following Christ. They're people who've died. The baptism proves and and shows that um, Christ's death has been mirrored in the life of the Christian who gets baptised. That emphasises the death. The old existence is gone. The old way of life is gone. And now we stand in a new way of life, forgiven before God. The water is like the burial with Christ, the immersion. And Christ's death alone is what allows us to stand before God, forgiven. We make that our own by faith when we make that decision to be united with Christ. We unite in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection, his rising again, and united with him in this new life of grace. So living out that resurrection life, Paul's saying, is not an option. It's a part of being saved. It's part of being saved by Christ. Now Paul says in this passage that it's like a slave. A slave is di- who's died is free from his old master. He can't, can't serve his master anymore. So Christians are free of their old master, which is sin. Sin's got no claim on the Christian's life. So just as a Pringle can never be a crisp, so a Christian can never be a slave to sin again, he's moved on to a new way of life. They're two completely different things. So that's great news for us. If you're a Christian, we live under this new law, this new grace that he's given to us, not the law of sin. And so this is good news, because it means we can be assured of our salvation, of our place in God's kingdom, and nothing, nothing can take that away, as Paul says later in Romans, neither death nor life, nor anything, any powers above or below can take us away from the love of Christ. Now we're going to watch a short video clip, just to make this point a bit bit more, uh, about being dead to sin and alive to Christ. And this is from a clip, from a, um, a series, really called *Band of Brothers*, and in this, uh, Private Blythe is in the uh, in the army, the American army in World War II. He's struggling to function as a soldier, and it's after D-Day. He's dressed as a soldier. He's got the uniform to prove it. He's got the wings on his shoulder to prove that he's a paratrooper, but he's not a real soldier yet. So let's just watch this clip.
1: Privates in your company? We do, sir. We do. I vouch for that. You just don't see how simple it is. Simple? What is, it, sir? Just do what you have to do. I get in on dating, sir. myself in the ditch all by myself. kind of state. What's your name, Trooper? I'm Bligh. You know why you hid in that ditch Blythe? I was scared. We're all scared. You hid in that ditch because you think there's still hope. But Blythe, The only hope you have is to accept the fact that you're already dead. And the sooner you accept that, the sooner you'll be able to function as a soldier is supposed to function. Without mercy, without compassion, without remorse. All war depends upon it. some of this candy hey, shit? Right. No. Post got ammo.
0: Hey, boy. So go, what the, uh, the lieutenant was saying was, the only hope you have is to accept the fact that you're already dead. Then you'll function as a soldier is supposed to function. The point I want to make, really, is that just like a soldier has to accept the reality that they're dead, then they can truly function as a soldier and do their job. A Christian, in some ways, has got to embrace the fact that we are dead to sin, and then... They can truly function like a Christian supposed to function, as Christ's follower, living a new life of hope and of freedom, helping to transform the lives of others around them. Romans 6 verse 11 says that when we become Christians, we die to sin and are made alive to Christ. So we must give up thinking and living like a slave and start thinking and living like a free person in Christ. Somebody called Leo, Leo Tolstoy said, everybody thinks of changing humanity and nobody thinks of changing themselves. But if we want to change our communities for the better and if we want to change the people around us, our friends, for the, for the better as well, then Jesus asks us to do something, to trust in him, to live that new life, but to do something. And what do we do? Well, the, th- the role for us is in verse 13. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly, full time, into God's way of doing things the Message Version says. Now I became a Christian at the age of 15 and I wasn't because I guess it wasn't because I understood it all at that stage but God had challenged me about how passionate I was to follow him. I've been going to church since I was six. Um, Not because my parents are Christians although my dad now is um, but because I asked my dad one day if I could just start going to Sunday school. Sounds like a Funny thing to do, really, for a six-year-old boy. Can I go to Sunday school, Dad? Um, but obviously something um, made me want to, to ask that question and to go to church. I knew lots of things about God as I got older and understood um, the Bible a lot better. But it wasn't until I was 15 I really started to see beyond those stories and those parables to, to Jesus, really, calling me to be his follower, his disciple. And at that age... I didn't really want anybody else to have control of my life. That's just the age you don't want anybody to have control of your life. Parents, friends, anybody. You want to you find your own way in life to some extent as a teenager. But I went on this youth weekend um, with some friends of mine, and the speaker challenged me from this passage in the Bible from Revelation 3. Um, and this, the passage was verse 15 and verse 16 in Revelation 3, and it says this. Jesus was speaking to the church in Laodicea. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. I mean, when I heard that, I really knew that God was speaking to me. The speaker who was up that weekend was saying, God doesn't want us to go through life in this kind of middle place, sitting on the fence, lukewarm in the middle. He wants us to be either hot or cold, for him or against him. He'd rather us be one way or the other. And for me, it's like sitting in a lukewarm bath. That's the kind of image that came to my mind. You know when you've had a nice bath and then it starts getting to that stage where you think, it's getting all a little bit scummy in here, isn't it? Um, you know, you're just sitting there. The bubbles have gone. Um, there's this kind of film on the surface of the water. It's sort of... You can see bits of your body that you recognize, like, just go and pass What's... Oh, no. Not nice at all. Even the rubber ducks kind of jumped out of the bath. And you think, right, time to get out. Okay, let's do it. You can't sit in a lukewarm bath forever, can you? It's just horrible. You need to make a decision. Um, get out of the bath and, you know, make a decision. So that is the time that I made my decision. That was the time when I was 15 I decided, okay, i am been going to church... I'm either for or against God. I don't want to be against God because I also know what the Bible has to say about, about the future and about our lives. But if we're with Christ, I know that nothing will separate me from God's love. So I knew that it's time to make that decision for God and be committed to him. There's so much more I could talk to you about with this passage, but we haven't really got time. So I'll start drawing things to a close. Um, but you know, I'm not here tonight to make you feel guilty about any. Sins that you've been committing or wrong attitudes or habits or addictions or whatever it might be. Um, God has nailed all of that to the cross. I firmly believe that. His word says that Jesus has taken that punishment and we're free. We don't have to carry those burdens if we trust in him. The Romans 6 passage says we can just live in this new land of grace. I think that's a great image. It says in the message version... We entered into a new country of grace, a new life, in a new land. And Just think about some of the most beautiful places you've ever been to. When you enter that place, it is like such a refreshing, exhilarating experience and you want to stay there for a lot longer. It's just like it is, this new land of grace. The more we stay there, the more we want to get to know the place, the more we want to, we want to actually live there, not just spend a holiday there. And that's already ours because of what Christ has done, that new land. But I want you to ask that question tonight. Where does my identity lie? Is it in my selfish desires or uh, my old way of life? Or is it in Christ? He was tempted in every way, but had no sin. And who comes not to condemn us, but to show us the way to that land of grace, to transform us. It says in uh, Romans 13... Verse 14, Paul's saying, Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So hold that image just for a moment. If we clothe ourselves with Christ every day, imagine what our lives will be like. Imagine how we'll be transformed. Every day, every decision we make for God, it can be a decision that honors Him or a decision that will let Him down. Every moment, of every day is a chance to stand for him or against him to be committed to him or to just fall back into an old way of life that Romans says we can count ourselves dead to we know we'll have struggles with sin we always will but we can count ourselves dead to that old way of life and step out each day clothing ourselves with Jesus Christ so imagine the impact we'll have on our world if we can do that and if we can put our our life in Christ first we're going to have a, a time of worship um now a bit more um, singing and praising and if you want to join in brilliant but you might want to just have some time out you might want to uh, pray with a person next to you or pray with some friends you might want to just uh, reflect and pray on your own if you feel like you'd like somebody to pray with you and you're not sure who i'm happy to pray with you or leanne as well Uh, maybe one or two of the people that you know in the church uh, who have done that before for people you're very welcome to pray with whoever you like but if you just want to sing your heart out and praise God, that's brilliant. But whatever you want to do, make this your time with God, just to, um, to ask him to help you in the ways you need help through the rest of this week. I'm just going to finish with uh, this passage from Ephesians 4. That's no life for you. You learn Christ. My assumption is that you pay careful attention to him, being well instructed in the truth, precisely as we have it in Jesus. Since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything... And I do mean everything connected with that old way of life has to go. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it. And then you can take on an entirely new way of life. A God-fashioned life. A life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. Amen. Thanks, Johnny. And the band.